This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. You're listening to Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 111. Welcome back to Dollars and Change on SiriusXM's Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm Nick Ashburn. And I'm Cheryl Coolman. And we join you here live every Thursday morning from 8 to 10 a.m. Eastern, where we play throughout the week. You can find us on the app on demand, and we also get to podcast our content. So you can always, there's tons of ways you can listen to Dollars and Change. And you can learn a lot. Edutainment is Edutainment. the phrase that Nick used earlier. Exactly. So we have had a great show so far, and we are moving right along. Time flies when you're having fun. Um, and we are going to introduce Kurt Brankus, who's the founder and chief executive officer of Indigenous Pact, and Bob Kirshner, who's the vice president for provider program for of provider programs at Indigenous Pact. Welcome to the show, Kurt. Good morning. Welcome to the show, Bob. Good morning. We are so delighted to have you. And for our listeners, um, I had a quick conversation with Kurt and Bob uh, maybe a month or two ago. Yeah, weeks ago. Yeah. And, you know, I was just really excited about what they were doing and I wanted to get them on the show. So we're delighted to have you. And so, Kurt, let's start with you and tell us a little bit about your background. Well, thanks. Uh, Thanks for having us on. Um, So my background, I'm a philosopher by trade. (gasps) I'm a philosopher um, by training. You are. I That's am. amazing. See, and who said that philosophers can't do anything? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes, Cheryl yeah. is a PhD in ethics. Yes. Oh, perfect. That's that's great. So, yeah, I, you know how I landed in healthcare. Um, I just kind of wandered into it, but um, I started out uh, my career um, as a uh, as a chief of staff for global and domestic operations at United Healthcare. Um, and then after that, I got into um, a, a claims audit company that looked at kind of boutique reimbursement issues um, uh, overall, looking at kind of overpayments and underpayments and really getting intimate with how reimbursement in healthcare works overall. And then in uh, 2010, uh, I started a company called Aver um, that was at the birth of the ACA. Um, and at the time, I was the Affordable um, Care Act for our for yeah, our listeners. Yeah, yeah. We got to break down acronyms. Yes. Oh yeah. Sorry, uh, <laughs> healthcare acronyms. Um, and so, you know, at the time, I was really interested in in healthcare reform and advanced payment models like bundled payment. And uh, I did the whole venture capital thing, raised thirty million bucks, nice. and had large corporate backing, served twenty million lives um, with some of the largest insurance companies and hospitals. Um, but that's that's kind of uh, uh, at least my my background in healthcare, anyway. And so. Then I'm th- I'm putting on my investor hat and I'm like, well, you need a good founding team. You got to have the right skills. So, Bob, you know, where do you come into the equation and what's your background? Um, my career started out as a physical therapist. Um, I w- went to grad school at USC, undergrad at Stanford, and um, worked in the Bay Area. Ran a clinic, uh, ran a sports medicine program. Um, then moved to Colorado and was director of rehab services for a hospital. Um, and transitioned into physician practice management and ran an orthopedic surgery group for a few years. And then uh, I got interested in the payment reform world and changing how healthcare gets paid for, delivered, and trying to be more efficient and, and get better outcomes at better costs. And goodness so, knows it needs that reform. What's that? And goodness knows that's an area that needs reform and, and yeah. to be made more efficient. It's a, it's a very broken system still. Um, 
So um, I went to work for a nonprofit in Denver called the Center for Improving Value in Healthcare, and um, I was focused on payment reform initiatives across the state of Colorado. We had the all-payer claims database, um, uh, which is a, a multi-payer group a set of data, and run analytics for providers, payers, and employers who purchase health care to help them understand how they're spending their money. And I was fortunate enough there to meet Kurt because we were using Avers Analytics for our bundled payment ah, so um, reform initiatives. And uh, Kurt asked me to come join Aver as a subject matter expert uh, for um, for provider side um, initiatives. And um, one thing led to another. Um, and Kurt started this company and asked me to join here as someone who has a background on the provider side. My role is really to make sure that we always think of the patient and that no matter what you know, funding initiatives or programs that we're developing, that we focus on patient care number one and that the patient is always not only considered but the priority in the way we set up our programs. So when I when I hear both of your backgrounds, like I just get really excited because I I'm excited because I think you're going to be really successful and you have the appropriate skills to make this work. Um, and we'll get into what this is in a second. But I do want to remind our listeners, if you have a question for our for our guests, give us a ring at one eight four four Wharton. That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. And so, Kurt, let's get into the this that I mentioned. What are you? What is Indigenous Pact, and what are you trying to accomplish? Okay, so <laughs> <laughs> what is Indigenous Pact? So Indigenous Pact um, really focuses on um, a couple of different things. Um, um, it, the first thing is the lack of funding um, that happens, and the second is access to care. So I'm, I'm going to talk a little bit about the lack of funding. I'll let Bob uh, chat a little bit about access to care um, since that's his specialty. But um, the what a lot of people don't realize is American Indians and Alaska Natives um, have um, treaty obligations. So when we did these treaties, um, the United States government um, gave the right for free health care uh, until the end of time. So in exchange for the land uh, and a genocide, um, that we would uh, provide free health care. Um, the way that that happens today um, isn't the way that you would imagine it, um, too. So, you know, here's kind of a a quick little painting of that. So there's 2.2 million American Indians and Alaska Natives. Um, there's also 2.2 million federal prisoners. Um, there was a Pew study done in 2014, um, and the federal government has to pay for both. Um, in uh, 2014, in that year, there was $4 billion allocated for the American Indians and Alaska Natives. Um, and in that same year, there was $8 billion for the prisoner system. Wow. So we're literally, you know, paying double the amount for, for prisoners. Um, and then, you know, maybe just a little bit different way uh, of saying it. So, so um, uh, in healthcare, uh, a lot of what gets measured is a, a per person per year cost. Um, and this is how health insurance companies kind of, kind of uh, look at that. So in American Indian Alaska Native healthcare, it ranges depending on where you live, how much money you get allocated. Um, but on average, it's anywhere from $300 per $1,000 per person. Um, in the typical kind of commercial healthcare system, um, that's usually $12,000 per person. So, so, so remind me what, quickly, Kurt. So for the Native American population, it's $300? $300. Um, where I live in Wisconsin, it's about 700 
Um, and in other areas of the country, um, some people will get about $1,000 per person. And then for more, you know, I guess just private sector commercial clients, it's 12000 12000 Okay. We're seeing so a it's, problem. It's a massive disparity. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the, the way that this happens. And I'll let Bob uh, mention a little bit about access to care. Yeah, so um, access to care is really where the system, I believe, uh, falls apart. Um, there are, uh, you know, many tribal members that have diverse types of insurance um, that live on the reservation or off the reservation. Um, on the reservation, they could have Medicare, they could have Medicaid, they could have commercial insurance plans that their tribe purchases for their employees, um, or they may have no insurance at all. So when they go to the tribal clinic where they can get free care, um, the tribal clinic, if, if they need to refer them on to a cardiologist or an orthopedist or an endocrinologist or whatever it might be, um, they have to find somebody who will accept, um, in large part, Medicaid, which they really, really struggle with. Not to mention a lot of Native Americans feel like, hey, I have the treaty, I don't need insurance. And so then they fall back on Indian Health Service dollars, which get paid to the tribe each year, which most tribes run out of funding uh, about halfway through the summer um, to pay for health care for, for their tribal members who are uninsured. Um, and so when you, when you don't have access to specialty care, um, it really causes a lot of problems because uh, Folks get sick, and folks get admitted to the hospital, and um, patients die. And so um, what we're trying to do is to improve um, prove that access by creating some networks and some better reimbursement opportunities for the specialists and the hospitals that are off the reservation. Um, and, and additionally, in terms of access to care, Kurt, Kurt will talk a little bit about um, his personal history with accessing care for his nephews, but... Um, 70% of Native Americans actually live off the reservation. And once right. they're off the reservation, they will not have access to the, um, to the health care that's provided by the tribe. And so they, they either have to get their own or they have to go through Medicaid. And, and um, accessing care when you live off the reservation can be a real challenge for um, primary care as well as specialty care. So let me just clarify that. The the treaty provision about the health care holds only insofar as you're on the reservation? Yes, and it depends on how the tribe sets up what's called um, a chisda. Uh, it's a, um, um, what's the first word, Kurt? Well, it's 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 a, it's a uh, service delivery area, yeah. actually. Mm. And so the tribe has limitations on how it what area it can cover its tribal members. Um, it has limited funds to be able to do that. Um, and so they do the best they can within a certain, either on the reservation or within a certain designated area uh -huh. around the reservation. Um, but it's a struggle. It's a struggle for the tribes to make ends meet. Thanks for that. And so, like, just to, I want to hit the the point home, is what I'm understanding is that, you know, because of the treaties, that there is a, a pot of money really allocated to reservations and generally for, for primary care primary care and specialty care and that they generally run out of that money halfway through the year the calendar year or fiscal year and then if you're off the reservation and you're a native american looking for care you're li likely on medicaid and that's just you know pretty complicated for anyone on medicaid is that kurt does that accurately reflect that 
Absolutely. Yep. Okay. You've nailed it. And so when you and I did speak and Bob started to allude to this, there I had I asked a question. It's like, why this population for you as an entrepreneur? What what is sort of your personal connection there? Yeah, so um my wife is American Indian, um, and uh, she's from the Oneida tribe of Indians in Wisconsin. And when we were running our last company, uh, we were living off the res. We were in Ohio. Um, and um, one day we got a phone call, and um, there had been um, an issue with uh, her sister, and there had been a really a, a family tragedy, um, a lot of uh, it's kind of common on, on the res, a lot of drug and alcohol abuse and that sort of thing. And, and uh, she had two boys, so, so our nephews, um, who were 10 and 11 years old at the time, and, and they no longer had a home. Mm-hmm. Um, and being adopted myself, um, I just kind of thought, all right, well, we'll just swoop up the, the babies and stick them into the nest. And uh, we brought them down to Ohio uh, where we were living, and we had to get them some, some basic health services. And um, you know, this is like a Sunday morning and I'm drinking my coffee and I'm like, well, I know they were going to this, uh, clinic up on the reservation. I'll just look up Indian health services in Ohio. Um, and all should be well. And, um, as I started to look things up, I found out that the, the nearest facility was over 500 miles away. And I, and you're working in the healthcare sector I, at this yeah. point too. Yeah, I mean, 15 years in healthcare, right? Um, and you know, kind of, kind of get how it works. You know, I've been in, in it long enough to understand how how these things work. And I mean, we have some of the best healthcare systems around us where we were living in Ohio. You've got Cleveland Clinic, you've got you know uh, Ohio State, you've got all these great things right there. Um, and the nearest facility, there's not even one in the state. Um, so, so that was kind of the first thing. And so then I, I called their tribe. Um, and I talked to someone at their health center and I got a, a laugh at the under, at the other end of the line. And they said, well, there's no coverage once you leave the reservation. And, and it was really, this was 2016. And it was one of those moments, you know, where just like everything changes. And here, you know, we were quote unquote experts in healthcare reform. Um, and here's this thing happening right under our noses. And we have a, a healthcare system that's, um, that's completely broken um, in a way that, I mean, healthcare in general is, is difficult, but this is, this is really broken. Um, and, and it was one of those moments where um, it, it felt like a moral issue. Um, and I didn't actually really even feel like I had much of a choice at that point, that this was something that, um, that I had to dedicate um, a portion of my career to. You're listening to Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, and we're talking to Kurt Brankus, CEO of Indigenous Pact, and Bob Kirshner, who's the VP of Provider Programs at the, at the company. And we're, we're really talking about issues in healthcare and specifically for American Indians uh, in, in this country. And so, Kurt, that was um, – I mean, it's clear that you saw the problem in a very you know personal kind of way. How does uh, Indigenous Pact then – try to adjust that challenge? Well, it's really a few different things. Um, the, the, the main way that we're addressing the problem, um, though, is that um, we're putting together a health card um, that uh, we're going to put in the pocket of 2.2 million American Indians and Alaska Natives um, that will not only give them the confidence to go get the health care that they need, but simplify the experience 
uh, in a way that their mother, their sister, their brother, their uncle, their cousin, everyone in the tribe um, will access care um, in the same way. So mm-hmm. in the same way, you know, that it affected my boys, um, you know, that we've we've adopted um, when when tribal members leave the reservation, they have no care. So depending on the insurance you have depends on where you can go, who I can see, you know, and we're going to break down that barrier so that every tribal member accesses their tribal benefits that they've been guaranteed uh, in the same way. And we're building the critical infrastructure uh, to simplify it. And so, Bob, are we talking about access to benefits that are just underutilized with the card or or kind of how does that work because my my initial understanding was like there's a pot of money you're off the res you don't have access don't to get it. it so what is a card and, help? and the pot of money runs out right so so what is the card sort of helping connect people to so there are programs um at the state and federal level that will allow tribes to create care coordination agreements um with off um off the reservation uh providers, be them specialty providers or hospitals. And when they do that, they can access funds and, and then share in those funds with the providers. I mean, what it, you know, having run a specialty practice, a lot of times it comes down to, you know, who are the patients that I can accept that are going to let me keep the lights on? Um, and so it comes down to reimbursement. So mm-hmm. with these care coordination agreements, you can build a network of specialists who you define um, as that provide culturally sensitive care and that mm-hmm. provide care um, in a way that is receptive to the Native American population. Um, and there's metrics that uh, we've identified that you can set up to help, help the tribes identify those things. And, and then you can make a Native American patient more attractive to a, a specialty physician or even a hospital. Um, you can get, you can increase it from Medicaid rates to Medicare-like rates or even higher, um, depending on how you set the care coordination agreement up. So that that will work for um, for uh, members who are on the reservation, and then off the reservation, um, the the goal, the goal would be to use these IHS funds and pool them in a way that allows you to extend that network for them as well. Um, we have to start. On the res, we have to start with the clinics that are on the res, the 638 designated clinics where the tribe owns the clinic or an IHS clinic that IHS owns and operates on the reservation. Um, Start there, build the network, and then the hope is to expand this network from state to state and access um, quality specialty care to, to all Native Americans. So, Bob, it's. I think that you guys are, uh, given your experiences, you guys really understand the players within the ecosystem, you know, all the way to different levels of government. And an indication that you've given us is, like, people, e- even the policymakers kind of in charge don't even realize what the issues are right. in this area. It does. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, I'll, I'll take that. So okay. it, it's interesting. Um you know, in, in our last work that we did in, in healthcare reform, um, we had a really nice opportunity to work with uh, different state Medicaid uh, uh, directors, um, working with um, large, you know, health plan uh, executives, working with people at the federal level um, who were pushing out um, a lot of these payment reform initiatives through uh, Center for uh, Medicare and Medicaid uh, innovation and, and things like that. And, and when we first got into this, you know, our first inclination 
um, was this this can't be real. Mm. This, this really can't be happening. Um, but maybe this is just a, a one-off situation. And so um, we started calling some of our friends uh, in the industry. Um, and, you know, I don't want to call out people in particular, but, you know, calling, you know, certain states and governors and Medicaid people and federal uh, people at, at some pretty high levels. And, and we said, hey, what do you know about this? And they all said, I don't know anything about it. And so then it made us think, well, either this isn't an issue, um, because if no one knows about it, it can't be an issue, or this is just one of the, the greatest uh, uh, atrocities that have ever happened. <laughs> uh, and unfortunately, it's, it's, a, it's the latter. Yeah. And, and I guess what's so fascinating is, again, this is sort of at the heart of dollars and change as a show is like, what is the business case? What, how can business be a force for this? And so you guys have created indigenous pact, this company that's trying to solve while while everyone else is getting their act together. You're saying like, what can we do today? And so give us an example. I mean, I think you're still somewhat early days, but like, how is this really being used in the marketplace, Kurt? Yeah. um, And and we do think that business is the way to solve this problem. So, so what we're working on today, um, so, you know, there's a lot of uh, parts to all of this. But um, to simplify it, what we're doing today is we're focusing on state regulations. We're focused on um, federal legislation. And, you know, we've got people who are, are reading through these regs um, on, a, on a daily basis. And what we're doing is identifying all of the different pots of money. And and interestingly, I mean, there's a lot that's out there. It's just completely disconnected. Mm -hmm. It's it's one of the most fragmented systems that I've ever seen. And it actually doesn't look and act like any other portion of healthcare. So what we're doing is we're, we're mapping that and stitching that all together. And then what we're doing is we're building programs um, that identity that utilize those state and federal dollars to increase the amount of funding that comes into these tribes. You know, when you're at, you know, $300 or $1,000 a person, the whole goal is how do we increase that number uh, up to a commercial standard? So the programs are specific to each of the tribes, um, and they're largely based around the, the, the bigger health disparities um, uh, for this population. So, um, you know, we're working on things like behavioral health integration with primary care. We're working on uh, elder care programs, uh, for uh, what's called long-term service and support, uh, telehealth programs. Um, there's some really kind of neat stuff going on in traditional healing um, to make things that are, are culturally sensitive um, for this population. Uh, care coordination efforts for, um, for this population with, with multiple chronic illnesses. And we identify program by program and then capture as many of those dollars and, and pump that um, into um, uh, into these tribal communities, and one of the the actual really interesting ones that that we've been working on uh, recently too um, is is substance abuse um, disorder. So um, I'm sure you guys are aware the the opioid issue um, across yes. the nation is uh, is really really a difficult one, and you know we're in a complete crisis. Um, for the probably not surprisingly for American Indians and Alaska Natives, it's actually the hardest hit population um, by opioids. Um, and we have found um, some really interesting programs um, to be able to fund this in a way that um, uh, other kind of non-native programs do not have 
uh, access to. And so we're assisting building capacity um, for these communities um, around substance abuse disorder too. So um, it's, it's really, a, a, we're going, we're tackling these health disparities head on. And so Kurt, who, what's your revenue stream? Yeah, so the, the, the revenue stream um, uh, comes in a, in a few different ways. Um, and, it, you know, it's going to evolve um, over time as well. So the first thing that we have to do is, is kind of build trust um, with with these communities, we're we're outsiders. Even though I'm married to a native, mm-hmm. um, Bob himself is uh, is considered an urban uh, Indian. Um, he, um, it, you know, we're still outsiders, um, and so we usually start with limited engagements where um, uh, people are bringing us in for consulting like services um, to help identify this sort of revenue. Um, but then what we found is is over time as we've you know, we do what we say we're going to do. Uh, what they've said is, can you hang around and can you help us with the revenue cycle? And so that's a, a healthcare term for basically help us keep the money flowing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we've built technology um, and wrapped that technology around some of these services to um, uh, do a, a transaction like fee, where um, as we're increasing revenue, we, we take a transaction fee. Um, uh, for for doing that service over time. And then, uh, obviously, in the future, once we move to the health card, um, the model will shift um, uh, slightly, uh, but it will be based around a transaction fee for the card. And, Bob, what do you find is one of the biggest challenges when you're working with providers in this space? Well, I think um, a lot of the providers on the reservation um, are non-native and have worked outside the reservation um, however, for the tribal councils and for the for the tribal members, it's really about trust. Um, the The way business gets conducted on the reservation is is really refreshing. And it's really old school. It's about spending time. It's about them learning, you know, who you are, what what's important to you. You know, it's not what you do; it's why you do it. And um, they they take time. And mm-hmm. so we've been lucky enough to have a tribe in Washington State that trusted us and gave us this opportunity, and we've we've done well for them. And word has spread in the state of Washington, and we've had um, a coalition up there um, ask us to help with some research and development on some program development. We've had other tribes reach out to us as well, uh, both in Washington and outside of Washington. So. It, it and I don't think any kind of brochure we put out or any kind of website we put out. Um, would matter at all. What matters is one tribal council member picks up the phone and calls another tribal me- council member and said, can I trust these guys? Um, that, that's how um, business gets done on the reservation. And um, it's, it's slower, uh, but you have to do well. And, um, and that's probably the biggest challenge is earning that trust. And Bob, just, just so our listeners are clear, if, if right now you are in you're, you're sort of working in Washington State. You have not, you're, you know, you're not in Wisconsin yet, right? Um, I guess, like, where are you actually operating so far? We have contracts in Washington State right now, um, and we have dialogue going in um, Oklahoma, um, Wisconsin, and Alaska. Great. And, and Kurt, what I think is interesting about the model is, well, this is a really important, you know, pop, part of the population that is there's a high need when when I think through our segment and in our previous conversation, 
you can see this being applicable to other, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you're you're doing the heavy lift of going through the healthcare system and figuring out where there are inefficiencies and how technology can, you know, connect the end consumer to payments or benefits. And so we talked a little bit about that. Where do you see the future going, you know, for Indigenous Pact? Yeah, so <laughs> I guess in, in the broadest um, stroke that I can say is our mission uh, is to create health equality in one generation. So that's 25 years. I think I've got 25 years in me um, <laughs> uh, to do that. Um, so that's 25 years to solve what, at least from my perspective, are some of the hardest problems in healthcare. Um, but I guess if it wasn't hard, it probably wouldn't be worth doing anyway. Um, but we're we're really focused on, you know, as we've mentioned, this this administrative. Um, infrastructure to simplify healthcare funding and access, you know, for both on and off the reservation. But, but you know, when I think about the future, you know, personally, um, I my my personal measurement is that when my children get this card in their pocket, that's success. Um, but I guess for for everyone else, um, <laughs> because you know, I, I guess I can't tell everyone when my kids have the card in the pocket um, that um, we're developing metrics and, and we're working with the Wharton School uh, to publicly report our impact on on these communities that we serve. But but really, it starts with with putting one foot in front of another and doing the next right thing for these communities. And and I think you know before long we'll wake up one morning and we'll have reached a resilient national network um, with a much healthier native population. And Bob, is is are those similar sentiments for you and sort of what drives you every day or, or what really motivates you in being part of this work? Yeah, it's, you know, I'm, I've been a clinician my whole career and, and so um, I'm not treating patients anymore, but you, you want to get some kind of fulfillment out of feel like you're doing good. And to see the appreciation from folks at the tribe for getting these programs going is is really rewarding. And um, you know, additionally, the um, you know the the members of the communities that we've talked to, as well as some of the coalitions, kind of the higher level Native American and Alaska Native healthcare commissions, they um, they have been thinking about the things that we bring to the table for many many years. They just haven't had the, I don't know, the resources or the time or whatever. So there's, there's a lot of really smart people working on this stuff. And um, what's been really well received is, is our energy and the, the ideas and say, okay, let's think differently about this. Let's not get stuck in, you know, this is the way it's always been done. This is the way we're going to do it. So um, there's been a great receptiveness within the Native American healthcare system to our ideas. And, and again, I want to say it's not something that's necessarily new. It's just they didn't have uh, a resource to go to to actually get these things done. And so it feels really good to be able to execute on this stuff for the tribes um, and, and access dollars and build programs and improve their healthcare infrastructure. And so, Kurt, speaking of resources, if people want to find out more, where can they go to find out more information about Indigenous Pact? Well, I would I would recommend checking out the website. Um, so indigenouspath.com. Uh, um, we have uh, a lot of policy briefs out there that really get into the, the technical stuff. If you're a nerd, 
uh, uh, which we are. Which we are, yeah. Yep. <laughs> um, so you can you can read all of that uh, that stuff. If if you're more um, sentimental, um, uh, you know, we have a great blog series out there as well, um, where we're collecting stories from across Indian country. Um, and and it, both both from people that are affected by healthcare as well as the healthcare workers, and uh, we have some great stories out there as well. So I, I would recommend the website. All right. Well, thank you both so much for joining us on Dollars and Change. We've been speaking with Kurt Brankus and Bob Kirshner of Indigenous Pact. Uh, we're going to take a short break, but stick with us. We've got our open segment, so we definitely encourage you to give us a ring at one eight four four Wharton. That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. If you have uh, you know, some thoughts or questions about any of our guests. Uh, we're also, you know, going to have an open segment where Cheryl and I will be discussing some of those issues as well and maybe some new ones. So stay tuned. This is Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School on Sirius XM 111. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu. 